Thank you, you're dismissed. <laughs> I love that nut right there. In July, J.O. will be 95 years old. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. And when you get 95, we'll celebrate your birthday too so you don't feel like we're showing favoritism. Um... I want to give a quick shout out to our uh, mission team to Guatemala this morning, Buenos Dias, and uh, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for going with us. Thank those of you who supported us and prayed for us. Um, you know, I love a good comeback story. Whether it's Rocky, you know, in the last, and you think he's done, and this is over, and it should have, you know, should have gone that way, and then he battles back. Everybody... You, you know those kind of stories and those movies where, oh, you're just, you just kind of feel that momentum build and then uh, you see that happen. I like to see that with a team, you know, whether it's in March or whether it's uh, what's coming, you know, right after this. Uh, March Madness always, to me, heralds uh, the greatest sports season, which is summer and all the teams. And you see these teams come back, you know, from here or you see a team down 10 points or 20 points, and then they battle back in the last quarter, and they win, you know, and it's, we, we love those kind of things. To, what it's like to go from, from being worst to first, and from going from a zero to a hero, you know, we like that kind of thing. Well, I want you to know that for, for those of you who are like me, maybe the first, when I began attending church, I kind of knew some Bible stories just from being in, in a Christian culture, I knew who Jesus was, I kind of understood that, but I didn't really get just how Easter is the greatest comeback story that's ever, ever been. Because Jesus was crucified, and he was dead, 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 and God raised him back. To life. I mean, what a comeback story. It, just, it should have background music to it. You know, dun, 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 dun. You know, and you just see Jesus step out of that tomb. Just a beautiful story. Kathy and I saw the movie, um, I'll make sure I get this all right, The Risen, just recently. I don't know if it's still in the theaters, but we were so impressed with it. It actually begins with the crucifixion and goes forward. It's just a little different than some of the movies and very well done. Very, you know, very. Um, I don't want to say su surprised or delighted, you know, with the production of it and how good it was, but it was really well done and kind of unfolds this comeback story. And then I am absorbed in that because I'm a comeback story. You're a comeback story. It's funny, I, t I mentioned, I told Kathy, I said, I'm standing in line yesterday at the airport and I'm, I was singing Jesus Paid It All in my mind. It's one of my rocking uh, grandchildren to sleep songs. You know, I like those old hymns, and, and they, just, they just calm down. And I've got that magic, you know, and that baby whisper thing. But that's one of the songs that, that I like to just hum and to sing. Only God and my grandchildren love my singing. And uh, that, that's one of them. I just love that because it talks about that, the, the fact that he paid it all. And that we're comeback, sto we're comeback stories. We're comeback stories. Now, another comeback story, which is maybe one of the greatest of all time, too, is when this very religious 
Pharisee uh, with a hard heart went from being the worst to being first in the Christian community. I don't know if there's ever been a greater Christian than the Apostle Paul. And I've noticed, <laughs> I just realized I keep stopping waiting for someone to translate this into uh, another language, and I, I don't have to do that. I can just keep going. So we're probably going to be done. You'll, you'll be at S&S in just a couple minutes here. Um, but Paul knew as much or more than anybody else what it was like to go from a zero to a hero. I mean, you think about this guy. I mean, he was passionate. He was like... Uh, I was trying to think of one of the more, more famous Nazis who just felt it was their mission to exterminate the Jews. And does that create that image for you? And you remember, you know, whether you've seen it in movies or in newsreels, J.O. fought in that war where their mission was, we're going we're to just remove this, just genocide. We're going to remove these people from the planet of the earth. That was Paul. That was Saul. He hated Christians. And he, and he just he wanted to rid the planet of them. To go from that to being maybe one of the greatest, most profound followers of Jesus to ever walk on the planet. Just a what a story. What a story that he had. And I only know a little bit about that, but how do you, how do you go from being that guy, from being this woman, to being who you know, who you feel in your heart of hearts, God has designed and you created you to be. I don't know about you. I don't know where you are spiritually and what's going on with you, but I know even at my most distant point, and maybe it's unique to me, or maybe everybody felt that and it was, it was there. But at, at the place in my life when maybe there was the greatest distance between God and, and me. And I, I don't know if you can ever measure that because sometimes I think you think you're really close to the Lord and you're not, you know, and you think because you're in church and because you're dressed up or because you do uh, religious rituals and duties, you think, well, I must be, and your heart's really far from God. So I don't know if just the activities make me think that I was more separated because, you know, I'm getting high and I'm doing all these things and I'm not thinking about the Lord and I'm, you know, just living this just totally disconnected uh, lifestyle that even even then even there there were these moments uh, when I'm alone and I know there's got to be more to life than what I'm living and this doesn't make sense if we just get up and it's and you go through your day whether you're a student or you work or you're at home you think is this it and I remember driving down uh, Hollywood Boulevard in Memphis in my 68 Roadrunner. So cool. I was just so stinking cool. And riding it down, you know, my hair blowing. And um, my Fu Manchu just vibrating with the engine. It was just, a, just an awesome sight. Uh, but turning to my friend and saying, is this it? And he goes, is this it? And he thought I meant the turn we were about, you know, that we were getting out. He goes, no, this is not it. It's on down. You know how to get there. And I said, no, 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 no. I mean life. Is this it? Is this what we do? Is this how we live? This, this seems so meaningless. You see, even in that place, I'm a zero. But there's got to be more. There is more.
And wherever you are in your journey, don't you know that? Don't you kind of feel that at some and when you're vulnerable, just at least with yourself or with the Lord, you kind of know, I know there's more than this. There is. That's because there is more. There is more. But how do I move from that place of feeling like I'm a zero? I want to be a hero. You know, we're going from my worst to being first. How do, how do I go from that place where I think I'm a sinner to where I'm affirmed and know that, no, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint. Well, it just so happens that I have some ideas, some suggestions, and they fall in the number three. Such a preacher. Okay. And the first one is this. You've got to come to grips with who you really are. You've got to come to grips with who you really are. Uh, I'm looking today in 1 Corinthians 15 because it talks about... Uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul, just these words just spill out of his heart and out of his soul. And, and, he, and, he, and he talks about this. And one of the things he says in chapter 15, in verse 9, he says, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. He said, oh, if you knew the things about me that I know, you wouldn't want me to be an apostle. And I feel that way because I, you know, I'm standing before you as your, as your pastor, and you know, I think, oh my goodness, if you knew my past, if you knew some of my history, you'd think, we don't want that guy preaching to us. In fact, you know, even the enemy will use that in, in my life. And he'll, he'll use it in your life in different ways. But in my life, there's times I'm sitting there. And right before, you know, it's, it's, it's my part to participate in the worship by sharing the word. And the enemy will bring back, he, he's done this, bring back a memory of maybe something I did or somewhere I was. Or, you know, and say, you remember that? Now, are you serious? You're going to have the audacity? And you're going to get up and, and speak to these people about Jesus? Are you kidding? Seriously? You're going to do that? And I feel that condemnation. And I know that's not from the Lord. Where does that come? Where does those old accusations? Listen, the past is past, and there's nothing you can do about it. You've got to leave it there. You've got to walk away. If he can, he will keep you in that. And those memories that will come to you, and those feelings of condemnation... Uh, he will try to use to hold you back. And I can't imagine how the Apostle Paul felt. And I think he's just being very matter-of-fact. I think he's just saying, you know, guys, seriously, I, I, I shouldn't be an apostle like this. I'm the least. I'm the least of the apostles. If you knew, some of you know. And there are people listening to him because this was written just about 15 years after Paul was converted. So he's a 15-year-old Christian, but he had lived his whole life persecuting and, and just being religious and trying to work his way and doing all these things. And he's so good on the outside, but the inside there's a hardness and a bitterness and this ugly darkness in him. But now, something's happened 15 years later, and he writes this letter. Let me show you another thing he said. It's in 1 Timothy 1.15. And I'm just going to read it off the screen so, because I'm not familiar with this Bible I'm using and I can't get to it fast. 
This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then it's like in parentheses, he says this, and I'm the worst of them all. Now, he's not being spiritual. You know, he's not being falsely modest. Um, the people didn't say, oh, no, Paul, that's, oh, you're so gracious to say that, but we all know you're the best of the best. There were people standing there going, well, you could say that again. You threw my daddy in jail. My brother's a slave now because of you. My mother died in that raid uh, on the Christian community that you did, and she got, she got killed in, in all the, the, the things that happened. They're standing there knowing. Paul's not just saying that. He's the worst. He's the worst of all sinners. That gives me a lot of hope, doesn't it? You, I mean, that gives that. When he says, I'm the worst sinner, there's no whitewash, there's no excuses, there's no rationalizations, there's no explanations. Like, well, let, let me just tell you, if you can understand where I'm coming from and how my mama didn't hold me right and my daddy never sang country songs to me and I just, you know, I'm just messed up and it's, it's not my fault, it's my parents, it's my... T- oh, if you knew my second grade teacher and how she talked to me, you would understand it's not my fault. No, he didn't do any of that. He just said, it's on me. It's on me. I'm the worst sinner uh, that, that you can imagine. He just comes out with it. I'm messed up. I'm so messed up. Transformation begins when you get honest with yourself and real honest with God about who you are. That's when something starts happening. That's when something started happening in my life. I quit playing games and defense, defending myself, you know, and, and saying, well, just give me a chance to tell you my side of the story. And I just, you know, I said, you know, God, you and I both know that's really thin. It's on me. That's where transformation begins. That continues, and you push into something brand new. With this, this second idea, you surrender your life completely to the grace of God. In verse 10, he says, but whatever I am now, I like that, whatever you want to call me now, whatever I am, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God, who was working through me by his grace. There's an important principle that's kind of tucked away uh, inside there. And I love this little phrase he said, and that was not without results. Recently, an old friend I haven't seen, uh, <laughs> let's, just say, let's call it a long time, how about that, uh, since second grade, Miss Holly's class. I'll never forget that year, and you're going to think, this guy's a dinosaur. But we were sitting in class one day, and Miss Holly came in, and she was crying. And another teacher came in and just held her. And they cried together. And this, I mean, we're second graders, and we're sitting there going, what in the world is going on? And it was in November of 1963. And President John F. Kennedy had just been assassinated. And the whole nation mourned together. A friend recently 
I don't know where he got it, posted a picture of our class. They used to sit us all down and, you know, they still do that. I don't know if they do it anymore. But every year they take a class picture and then we, you know, you do those. And there were people in there, of course, I didn't remember or recognize. And then some I did and kind of reconnected uh, with folks. And I think how our life unfolded because a lot of us just stayed in the community and you go through elementary school and then junior high school and then high school together and then we're all scattered uh, everywhere. Uh, but I, I thought about how much my life has changed in some of those lives. And I love hearing that some of those people became followers of Jesus. Some of them are Christians now. Some of them are dead now. And some of them have had tragic lives. And all the things that happen to us and what you experience. And Paul says, not without results. This thing that God did with me, it didn't leave me the same. It was not, I just, I just like the way he said, the way he just said, oh, by the way, there's a little bit of a difference. Uh, because some of my old friends have said, now you are a, you know, they go to your Facebook page and they visit and they go, you're a pastor? You're not only a Christian, but you are a pastor of a church? And I pray, oh, they, I hope they don't ever come and tell stories, you know, and they come to, they come to Knoxville. But, and I think, yeah, because you know what? Because it's not without results. It doesn't happen. There's, it doesn't leave you the same. There is a difference. And Paul was a different guy. You know, there's a kind of a phrase, and it's just, it's just um, folded into our culture now, uh, and it's something we say offhandedly or... You know, we just got back from Guatemala, and, and a lot of the people speak, some of the people, a few of the people speak really good English, but they don't know the nuances and the slang and the colloquialisms, and that's what they want to learn. You know, how do you say this is awesome or cool, or what do you guys say about this? Well, there is a phrase that Dr. Phil, I watch his show every day and follow him. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I've never, actually never even seen the show, but I know who he is, uh, and, and I know this phrase. How's that working for you? Right? I mean, everybody gets that, right? How, well, how's that working for you? Oh, you know, I've got all these problems, and I've got all these situations, and I was just rejected, or my spouse left, my girlfriend broke up with me, and this, so I just went out, and I just drank it. I just, just here's how I'm going to deal with this. Alcohol. I'm going to eat pills. I'm going to smoke weed. I'm gonna, this is how I deal with it. And feel, Dr. Phil, I call him Phil, we're Philly and I, he would say, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? So I come from a family that that's how we dealt with our problems. We tried to drink them away or we tried to laugh it off or we tried to fight it off. You know, how's that working for you? How's the anger thing working for you? You're upset with your wife. Things aren't going with your kids. So, you know, I'm just going to yell at them. I'm going to take this situation over just by the sheer power of my presence and my anger. And after a while, they're going to be so intimidated. Or, so, or you know what? It just takes too much energy to deal with him because he gets so angry and he, he's just going to control the room. But when that's over and you're done and you walk away, your anger... How's that working for you? Is that building a better marriage? Is that strengthening your relationship with your kids? How's that working for you? I mean, I could just keep going. 
And we kind of get that with negative behaviors that after a while, some of us begin to wake up and go, okay, this is not working. My My plan, my smartest idea, this is really not taking me anywhere. But sometimes it stays buried. How is trying to be better, working harder, feeling more guilty so you think, well, tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to read six passages of Scripture. I'm going to pray ten minutes longer. And then, and let, me, let me just, as a, as a fellow follower, let me ask you, how's that working for you? How has religion worked for you? How has being good worked for you? I knew a guy, and he, uh, he had a fair amount of money. He wasn't that spiritual a man, but he gave because giving relieved a lot of guilt. Now, if you're giving, and you're giving out of guilt, I want you to keep doing it, <laughs> but I want you to change why you do it. You see, it's not moving from that, not me trying to be better. And that's what Paul says here when he, when he says... It was, it's me. He said, there's nobody outworked me. He said, I'm first, you know, first feet on the ground, the last one at the end of the day to come off the field. He said, I bring it every day. But you know what? It's not me. He said, it's the grace of God in me. And I think if, if I could leave ministry one day and go to heaven and, and people said, you know what? The only thing I ever got from Dan is that it wasn't all about me. It was about Jesus and it was about his grace. It was not me trying to be a better Christian. It was not me trying to be a better church member or any of those things. It was allowing Jesus, it was dying to myself and allowing Jesus to live in and through me and his life to flow through mine. If you don't get anything else, and I have right at 1,500 messages in my library now. And on the day of judgment, I honestly think probably 1,450 of them are going to burn up. They're just going to burn to a crisp. Um, there's maybe 50 in there that, you know, but the, the, the thing is, I, that's what I would want you to, to remember, to know, that it's all about his grace. Look at Romans 7, uh, verse 15. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 says, I don't really understand myself. You ever thought that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? You ever walked away and thought, why in the world? I I wish that, did I say that? I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You've you've seen that. It's been exposing you, right? I, I hate when I do that. I hate when I... But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong... This shows that I agree with what the law is good, and so I'm not the one doing wrong, but sin. And he's just going back and forth. He says, I'm just having a terrifically hard time uh, with this. Look at verse 18. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, in my sinful nature. Because I want to do what is right, but I can't. I've tried, and I just can't. Look down at verse uh, 24. Oh, What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Here's the answer. Verse 25. Thank God 
The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And that's what Paul says. And I want you to know, because he kind of got it. He began to realize, I'm never going to be able to change. And I want you to know, you're never going to be able to change. Maybe for a little while. For a little while. You know, you'll discipline yourself, and you'll grind it out, and you'll think, I think I'm getting there, I think I'm getting there. But how's that working for you? What happens after about a month, six months, a year, two years? I've seen people change behaviors, and I've seen people maybe even caught in a behavior. And they'll change because they're afraid of the consequences, or they're afraid of being uh, discovered, or they're afraid. And so, you know, it just kind of shocks your system. So you change for a little while. But after a while, and you begin to feel safe again, what happens? You gravitate back towards it. You're never going to change like that. There's not going to be a genuine transformation of your life until we begin to understand that it's by grace. It's by grace. Look at 2 Corinthians, the next letter that Paul wrote, verse 5. Excuse me, chapter 5, verse 17. He says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You see, there's the secret. There's the key. It's not me trying to live out of my old life and just be better and better and better. It's not Dan 2.0. It's, you know, it's not like, ah, today I'm a little better than I was yesterday. How's that working for you? Not so good. Paul says, let's just crash the whole thing. Let's burn it down. Let's be crucified with Christ and live a brand new life. You get a clean slate. You get to start all over. That's the secret. That's the key. In fact, uh, back in our original text in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 10, he says, but whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me, not without results, for I worked harder than everybody. He says this, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. You get it? It's just all by grace. I mean, that's how you received Jesus, right? That's how you started. And so you don't continue that new life by trying to do your best. Because you're doing that, right? I mean, you're trying that, and we lose the battle. How's that working for you? Galatians 3, 4 says this. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? He said, you continued, and you tried. He says, how did you start off in this and then change? He said, who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you into thinking, I start off in Christ and by grace, but after that, then I've got this, Lord. From here on, I'm going to work it out. He says, I never wanted you to do that. So surrender to his grace, not your human effort, but only to God's power. And this last idea is this. Ask God to give you the strength to take the next step. To take the next step. 
that, that one verse that you know, I'm kind of camping out on here where he says, um, whatever I am now, it's all because of his great, you know, his special favor has been poured out to me and he's working this out through me with, by, uh, through grace. He said, it's all about the Lord. And then in verse 11, he says, so it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message that you've already believed. At some point, for many of us in this room at least, we kind of get grace. We understood. Maybe you were 10 years old. Maybe you were 12 or 15 or 19 or 30 or 40. Had a friend to receive Christ a few years ago at age 65. And I said, well, how do, what do you think? He said, I only regret all these years. All these years I spent in uh, borderline atheism. He identified as an agnostic. He said, I believe there's a God, but I don't... He said, I go to India and I see them. And he said, I go to China and I see them. And he said, I go to these other places. He tried, He said, and I just think, why, why do you think you're right? Until he received Christ through, the, you know, through this grace of God. He said, now I get it. Now I get that it's not me being religious. It's not about that. Ask God to give you the strength to take the next step. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman. Kind of like you know, what J.O. said just a few minutes ago. I know I, you think that guy's a nut. But Paul's saying the same thing. I know I sound, I sound like this, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. Okay, just kind of do like little checks as he goes. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number, and I have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, with a stick. Once I was stoned. They threw rocks at him about this big. He said three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole day and night adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers. People in the church, he said, hurt me, but they're not. I've worked hard and and I've, I've spent enduring many sleepless nights in Guatemala, and I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. And I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Do you see all these things? He said, look, God has poured this out, but there's something different. Now, when you read all of that, think, oh my goodness, Paul, what happened to you? I mean, is this the same guy that earlier was writing, I want to be good and I just can't, I don't know what to do, and I'm so tired, and I'm so, you don't understand, and I'm trying to be a good Christian, but I do the things I don't want to do, and I can't do the things I want, and I don't know what to do, I'm so miserable. That's the same guy who says, 
Now, here's some of the things I've experienced as a Christian. (laughs) I think, where did that come from? What happened to you? Because grace gave him the ability to take just the next step in front of him. Now, here's the way it works in my life and maybe in your life. Uh, Sometimes it just seems impossible. It just seems impossible to be this person you know is maybe somewhere down in there or that you think you could be, that you want to be. Or have you ever seen a great Christian that you admired? Uh, Some of you ladies may not remember who Elizabeth Elliot is. She's one of the most, she was Jim Elliot's wife and he was killed uh, on a beach with a spear and, and she went back to those people and evangelized them and just has a depth and an intimacy. We had her here at Calvary once and, you know, so some women could listen to her and look at her and think, oh my goodness, I don't think I'm even a Christian. <laughs> you know, I want to be like her. How did she get in this, this godliness about her? Some of you think that about some of these people you read or that you've listened to. You think, well, that just, that's, that's not me. That's impossible. I think because, and, and I do this, you know, you maybe do this physically. You see where you want to be. You think, here I am, there I want to be. 20 pounds lighter, faster. <laughs> you know, I want to be that guy. And I, I'm pointing at you. Yeah, I want to be that guy. And I, I do want to play guitar like you. I want to be the, you know, and you think, and what we do is we look from here all the way over to here. And what do you, what do you think? Eh, it's impossible. I'm not going to be that. And I think that's where we're defeated. You'll always be struggling. You think, I'm just going to always, it's always going to be a struggle. I'm always going to be disappointed. I'm always going to be lonely. I'm always going to be addicted. I'm always going to be broke. Because that's what the enemy does. Tries to show you that and say, look at that. You think you're going to be Elizabeth Elliot? You think you're going to be Billy Graham? That's impossible. Not you. Seriously, not you. That's just a great strategy to use against us. Because what do we do? Well, then why try? Why bother? I give up. Here's a little trick for you. And I think you see it in these lives of these folks all throughout Scripture and people that you know who seem to be really close to the Lord. This is how they did it. This is how they did it. You don't look at that. All you look at, all you think about, all you're focused on is the next step. The next step in front of you. Today and tomorrow. I want you just to lock in on nothing but that. So now, I'm not thinking... 20 pounds, are you kidding? I can't do that. You know what I can do? I can say, how about one pound this week? So if I don't eat donuts, if Daniel does not bring donuts from this amazing shop in Maryville, then he just comes in like the devil and puts them in the workroom. If I ignore those and say, get behind me, Daniel, and I don't do that, And maybe I I knock off some of the bread because I love, that's his secret weapon. 
I like that better than sweets. And now, even as I'm saying this, I want some. <laughs> I'm going to go to lunch. I want to. I wanna. Okay. But say I just say I'm going to knock off carbs and sugar just this week, and by next week I've, I've, I've lost one pound. That's, we get that. Physically, we get that. Mentally, you know, we get that emotionally. We think, well, tomorrow I'm going to take one more step toward healing. I'm going to take, you know what, the same thing, that same principle works spiritually. Just take the next step. Today. Right now, tomorrow, get up in the morning and think, I know I'm not going to wake up and be Corey Ten Boom. I'm not going to wake up and be Francis Chan. I'm not going to be whoever your person is that you're kind of role modeling. Or, you know, I'm not going to be the Apostle Paul. But you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to take a next step. I'm going to start having a quiet time. I'm going to start reading scripture. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start serving others. I'm going to start giving. Now, I, I give, well, uh, I shouldn't say that, but a tithe is 10%. Some of you are there, and you need to up it to 11. You need to think, you know what, this year, I'm going to add a percent. Some of you are at 1% or 0. Okay, go to 2. Some of you think, I give about 4 or 5% of my income because that's an average Christian. You know what, in 2016, I'm upping that to 6. I'm going to give, I'm going to give more. And then, you know what, tomorrow, this week, I'm just going to give a little more. I'm going to, I'm going to read another verse. I'm going to, you get the idea. Take the next step. What's the next step for you? I believe that's how in 15 years, Paul went from a zero, from being the worst, most fearsome person on the planet as far as the Christian community was concerned. He's the last guy you want to see show up at your church because he's going to bust it up. He's going to throw you in jail. He's going to kill you. He's going to wipe it out. That was his mission. There was this hatred and this anger. How did he go in 15 years from here to that guy? Because he just kept taking the next step. Only you know the answer to this question. What is the next step for you? What's the next step? You may need to get on the phone this afternoon and call someone and ask for their forgiveness. You think, for me to punch through this barrier, for me to go through this next place in my life spiritually, I've got to get this relationship right. I've got to forgive somebody. I've got to receive that. I've got to deal with this issue. I've got to make a commitment that I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going to engage in this behavior. And you think, that's all I'm, that's all I'm going to focus on today is just this next step. I don't think it's going to take you 15 years. I think by the end of the week, by the end of the month, by the end of the year, you're going to begin to realize, I'm a different man. I'm not the same woman. God, there's something different about my life. It's your journey. It's your journey. But it's step by step. I was reading something interesting. Uh, I think it was on Twitter. It said that riding a roller coaster...
causes your body and your brain to release these chemicals, serotonin and dopamine and um, oxytocin. And what those chemicals do is they, they, they combine together and they prepare you for danger. It's this old thing that's wired within us. You're ready for fight or flight. You know, you're, these chemicals are released and, and you're ready. And at the end of the roller coaster ride, the result of that is what happens is that it leaves you feeling euphoric. Have you ever, and I hope you haven't, ever been in a fight? You know, I'm looking at you guys like, why are you looking at us? We're, you know, this little violent group, right? Have you ever been in a fight, you know, and there's something afterwards, you're shaking your butterfly, but there's something you think, why do I feel this rush? Or some of you have been in, a, in, a, in an athletic contest or something, and you win, and what do we do? We all just, you know that feeling? The, the buzzer sounds, and we won, and what, you've been in Neyland Stadium, and you've seen people just go, oh, and the total strangers are hugging and kissing each other, and they think, oh, sorry, I... And you would never do that if you saw them on Market Square, you know, or at your high school. You just think, oh, they're so inappropriate. But there's this feel, this euphoria. You know, when those chemicals are released in the brain, and you get off that roller coaster and you think, I don't like these kind of rides, but there's something there. You get a buzz. Some people get addicted to that. It's so good. It just feels so good. Some of you do that, you achieve it by running or, you know, all these things. And you think, wow, I just feel, why did I do this? And I feel something. The same thing happens spiritually. When you take the next step, there is some Holy Spirit that's released in you. And when He begins to be freed up, and when you get mature, and you stop living by your feelings, and stop thinking, well, I don't feel like getting off the couch and running tonight, or I don't feel like praying, I don't feel like just worshiping when I come into this room. I'm just going to stand here and listen and look around and see who's got on what and that kind of thing. You know, no, when you, when you just start worshiping, when you just, there's something that's released. You're never going to go back. Even though all those things that happened to Paul, you know, and I read that list and I think, Man, I don't know if I'm going to be shipwrecked and snake bit and beat up and they're going to throw rocks at me. And then, you know, every time I think this is, yay, come to Jesus. No, thank you. What made him stick? Because the Holy Spirit was released in and through his life. He thought, I don't want to ever go back. And I just testify. My life is kind of split in half. This half's a little longer now. Without Jesus and with Him. I can go back now if I wanted to. How? How would I ever live? Take the next step and allow His Spirit to be released in you. You'll never go back to your old addictions, your old problems, your old self. You're going to like it. Would you stand, please? And here's our 
challenge. Here's our invitation to you. Allow the Holy Spirit within you to identify what that next step is for you. And it's going to be different for all of us. Some of you need to apologize to your wife or your kids or your parents or you need to make that next decision and affirm that and step forward. Let's do this. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Let's just turn these steps into a prayer altar and let's pray and say, God, I'm ready to take the next step. And here's what I think it is. And if you want to show me over the next 24 hours there's something different or there's you know, you're going to lead me in a little different way. That's okay. You've got total freedom in my life. But to the best of my knowledge of what I'm thinking, where I am, this is the next step for me. And I'm ready to take it. And if you've already taken that step and you're ready to take the next step and the next step, because wherever we are in our journey, there's another step until we get to heaven. You may feel led to pray over someone as much as for yourself. Let's just lean into this moment and then we're done. You're free to go and eat lunch and have community groups and just enjoy the rest of your week. But let's let our week start by taking the next step. Father, we trust you now. And Lord, by faith in your grace, we step forward in Jesus' name.